Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. So glad that you have tuned in. We are in the Gospel of Mark. We're in Fiction to uh, Leave Chapter 8 and Enter into Chapter 9. And we're still uh, studying the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be talking today and studying today about the revelation that Peter had and then how he was rebuked right afterwards. And then we're going to be looking at some things concerning uh, the Lord Jesus and his preparation for to go to Jerusalem, where he'll where he will be crucified and then raised from the dead. So uh, we're going to see the transition now in in the life of Jesus. He's preparing. Uh, he's already prepared himself for Jerusalem, but now he's attempting to prepare his disciples uh, when they go to Jerusalem so that uh, uh, they will uh, will be ready. And, you know, God prepares us. Let me go ahead and say this before we pray. God prepares us for what he has prepared us for. And we know that the Holy Spirit is our helper and he quickens us. But we're going to have to pay attention to what he's saying. And in order to do that, we're going to have to do some things that we're, t- we're going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get right into our study. Uh, Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you sent us the Holy Ghost. We're so thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We're so thankful for what all you do. Now, Lord, speak to us through your word. Cause the word of God to come alive on the inside of us. And Lord, we'll give you the praise, honor and glory for that. In Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. Okay, we're in Mark chapter eight and verse 27. Notice what Mark records. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? Now, Caesarea Philippi is about 20 miles north, northeast of Bethsaida. So Bethsaida is right there on the shoreline uh, of the north part of the Sea of Galilee. So uh, they're traveling inland now. And so Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And then Jesus, as they're walking along, he says this, but whom do you say that I am? And Jesus answered him, thou art the Christ. Now, Mark does not record what G, what uh, Matthew records. Uh, all Mark says in verse 30 is that he charged them that they should tell no man. But Jesus whirls around and says to Peter, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, Because flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And this is such a significant revelation to us. Because what Jesus is saying here up to this point, the disciples have been trying to figure Christ out in their head. They're trying to figure him out in their soul and their mind, their will and their emotions. That's why over and over and over and over again, when Jesus did some outstanding miracle in an attempt to prove uh, to the disciples who he is, they were astonished out of measure. Remember the boat when they woke Jesus up there. The boat was getting ready to sink. 
and they they woke, they shook Jesus, woke him up. Don't you care that we perish? And Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and it ceased. And remember the scripture that says, and they were astonished out of measure. And they said to themselves, even the wind and the sea obey him. They were trying to figure Jesus out with their heads. And certainly uh, these men, these 12, they were not what you would call men of prayer. They were not men of prayer like Simon was when Jesus, uh, when the, the parents of Jesus brought him to be circumcised into the temple. They were not like Anna. They didn't spend their days in prayer and, and in fasting. These were common men, working men. And so they have not learned yet how uh, to follow the Lord with their heart, with their spirit, praise God. And so that's very, very important. We must, if we're going to, if we're going to be able to interpret correctly the move of God in these last days, we're going to have to figure what God is doing and, and, and know what the Holy Spirit is doing with our spirit and not with our brain. All right. Now we're going to, we're going to look at this a little bit further as we go along. And uh, now Jesus now in Mark chapter eight, verse 31, he begins to teach uh, the, the disciples what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, the Lord has just commended Peter for that revelation. The Holy Spirit revealed to Peter just exactly uh, who Jesus is. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he says, But your name now is Peter the Rock, and it's upon this rock that I will build my church. He was not talking to Peter as being the, 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 uh, the rock that begins the church. He's talking about that which Peter perceived and was revealed to him through the Holy Spirit, the revelation of Christ. The only way somebody is going to get born again is that the Holy Spirit has to reveal to that person who Jesus is. I know that for a fact. I was raised in a Christian home. We were in church every day. My daddy was Sunday school superintendent. He was elder of the church. We were in church. He taught us. He prayed with us. He, he uh, helped us commit scripture to memory. But it wasn't until October the 13th, 1971, did the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, open my eyes and reveal to me just who this man Jesus is. I had accepted all of my young life and young adult life. I had accepted Jesus as a historical figure, but that's not enough. The saviorship, the lordship of the Lord Jesus has to be revealed to us. The fact that it's only through Jesus that we are born again. We're not born again through might. We're not born again through power. We're born again through the spirit. It's the spirit that confirms, convinces, convicts us of the truth that is in Jesus. And we have to come to that place where we understand that it's only through Jesus that we're going to receive salvation, not through our works, 
not through church membership, not due to the fact that we we uh, we're part of a denomination or part of a church, even a spirit filled church. That doesn't that does not warrant us to be born again. Like one young man I was talking to one day that uh, in a revival meeting in a church in Crawfordville, he had gotten baptized. That man was no more saved than the devil. I could tell by conversation. He didn't know Christ. He followed through with the form, but it had not become real to him. Jesus Christ was not real in his heart. And he's going to stand before one, get, one day and he's not going to be found just before God. The only way you and I can be just before him, the Lord, is through the merits of Jesus Christ, not through our own merits. I mean, listen to the gospel. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power, the right, the privilege to become sons of God, even to them that call upon his name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so here we go now. We're in verse 32. And Jesus spake this openly concerning what was going to befall him at Jerusalem. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about, when Jesus had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you savor not the things that are of God, but the things that are of men. Praise God. Hallelujah. So here is Peter. He's put up on a stool. Amen. He's 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 lifted up, commended, and he turns right around and gets rebuked by the Lord Jesus. Unwittingly, unknowingly, he yields himself to the devil and becomes one of the devil's emissaries. And that happens in church all the time. People trying to figure things out of their head instead of following their heart. Peter received that in his heart from the Lord. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, and then turn right around and then yield himself to the elemental spirits of this age. No, you can't do that, Lord. And I know that Peter did this. He did this out of, uh, out of a love for Jesus. But see, his theology was all messed up. He thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem to establish the kingdom immediately. That is not and was not the plan of God. God's kingdom is here. It is in us. It is in the church, the church. The, I'm talking about the remnant church. I'm talking about the born again church. I'm not talking about the nominal church that is continually on a daily basis compromising with this world and looks more like the world than it does Christ. I'm talking about the true born again, blood washed, spirit filled church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That is God's revelation. That is the church, amen, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, Peter, he gets rebuked. So, so Jesus is, he, he says to Peter, which is the, the Greek word, Santana, he's speaking to that spirit that Peter yielded to. But notice this, Peter is responsible for the words which he spake. Jesus is rebuking Peter, even though those words did not come from heaven, they came from this world. Still, 
Peter was responsible for. Oh, it's so important that we watch the words of our mouth. Like the psalmist says, uh, I have set a watch over my mouth that I might not sin against you. So just as God will use men to speak into a man's life the things that come from heaven, so the devil will use men to speak things of this world. Verse 34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said this. Now, this is very important. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice that. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, he, he tells us in verse 35, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. See, Peter was trying to save Jesus' life, and Jesus has already consecrated to lose his life, talking about his, 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 human, his human body. And so Jesus is saying this to Peter. He's saying this to his disciples, and he's saying this to us today. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. And that's exactly what Paul reiterated, reiterated in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am, and that, that's the aorist tense, I am and was and am and continue to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the meaning of Jesus here is clear. To serve him requires a whole covenant, not a halfway covenant. You can't have a covenant with God and then have a covenant with this world. Amen. You can't claim to be the righteousness of God and live in sin. You can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and then compromise with this world. You can't do it. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has translated us out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the son of his love. God loves you. God came into you. His love is in you, praise God. And that love is stronger than anything the devil can throw at you. All we have to do is yield to it. <laughs> Glory to God. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. He will lead us and guide us into all the truth. And then Jesus says this in verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There are multitudes in this world trading eternity for a few gold nuggets, just a few gold trinkets, just a few gold coins, just a little bit of pocket change. To us, that may be millions, that may be billions of dollars, but it's not profiting them. Only in this life. What is more of value to you? It is your saved life. That is the greatest thing of value that you have in this world. It's greater than your big house. It's greater than your fine car. It's greater than all your friends. It's greater than your huge bank account or your retirement. 
It's of more value than any of that because you can have all of that stripped away from you in a moment and stand. And if you have Christ on the inside of you, if you are born again, hallelujah, if somebody were to take your physical life, you'd go immediately to heaven. So there's victory on our side, perpetual victory. Whether we're blessed through life and we go to heaven blessed or whether we're tortured through life, lose everything, amen, and, and go piggybacking into the kingdom of God. We're still victorious. We still will stand with the Lord Jesus Christ on that day. When all the hell, when all of hell and all of earth is on fire and it passes away, you and I will stand with Jesus. Praise God. Amen. So we can't have both worlds. Either we are going to have Christ obey and follow him, or we're going to have this world obey and follow it. The world is passing away. But he that does the will of God shall abide forever. And then Jesus in verse 36 says this, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, and sinful generation. Are we in an adulterous and sinful generation today? Oh, yes, we are. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. So whatever we do, whatever we give, we'll receive. That's a principle that runs throughout the scriptures. And it's not just talking about money. What you, you and I sow, we will reap. What you and I give, we'll receive. And so Jesus is saying here that if we are ashamed of him in this generation, the son of man shall be ashamed of us. Now, that's the same Greek word, the same Greek word. And it means shame. It means disgrace. It means humiliation, such humiliation that causes one to shrink away from him. No, sir. See? That's what happened to the 12 disciples. The intensity of what went on in Jerusalem that night that he was arrested. They shrunk away, humiliated, fear, shame, afraid, afraid to follow the Lord. There may be somebody listening to this radio broadcast today. In your heart, you know you want to serve and follow the Lord, but you are afraid. You are afraid what your friends will think of you. You're afraid what your parents will think of you. You are afraid what others in the world that maybe those that you work with will will think of you. That's shame. That's being ashamed. And if you don't repent of that. If you don't yield yourself to God. And get on your knees and humble yourself before him and receive Jesus Christ and lose your life so that you can save it. So that the Lord Jesus will save it one day. You'll never know what it is to be born again. You'll never know what it is to have this life in Jesus. I'm telling you. The life of Jesus is peace that passes all understanding and it keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, no matter what the world tries to do to us. Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world and all those that follow Jesus are also overcomers.
Some of us have an abundant entrance and some of us limp, but still we overcome the world. And I say, praise God. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. And so we see in this that Jesus was committed and consecrated to do all the Father's will. And that and doing the Father's will included death on the cross. Amen. And he would not fall away from the whole purpose, the plan and purpose of God for which he came first. And that is to seek and to save that which is lost. And in order to do that, it required something of him. He gave his life on Calvary. He did it for you and he did it for me. He became the ransom for the sins of the whole world. So that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, those two working together, the Holy Spirit confirming the word with signs following, drew you into the net and dragged you, <laughs> drew you to the Savior. Praise God. Jesus said this, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And then Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Are you a sheep? Are you one of Jesus sheep? It cost him. But that life that was shed on Calvary was given to you when he raised from the dead. And through humble faith, simple faith, Jesus saved you. And he saved you for a purpose. There's a high calling upon your life. I'm telling you, there's a high calling upon your life. And many within the sound of my voice are living far below their rights and privileges in Christ Jesus. And I'm saying to you by the Spirit of God, come up, come up, come up in the name of Jesus. Come up and see and have the revelation of all that God desires for you and all that he is willing to do for you and walk in a higher place in him. Praise God. Amen. So Christ has come to do the Father's will. So through Jesus, we have come to do the Father's will. He has saved us. He's called us with a holy calling. The Lord drew us to himself because he loved us. Amen. The Father loved us before this world was ever made. He saved us in order to manifest his power through us, through the preaching of the gospel, so that others too may come to know him. And also we understand that none of this None of the Father's will can be accomplished unless we do exactly what Jesus said. And that is we take up our cross and we follow him. Praise God. Amen. Now we're going to get uh, through this quickly. This is the transfiguration of Jesus. We have just a few moments left. This is in uh, Mark chapter nine, beginning in verse two. And after six days, Jesus takes with him Peter, James and John and leads them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And as he was praying, notice that how many things happened while Jesus was praying. 
he was transfigured before them, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth could whiten them, no bleach, not a bleach made by man could whiten them any whiter than the glorified Christ. And there appeared unto them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say. <laughs> Amen. Oh, this was incredible. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And suddenly when they looked around about, they saw no man anymore, save only Jesus with themselves. See, this is a picture of the glorified Christ. But there is a revelation here that we need to see. And we don't know this unless we study the entire New Testament. Notice what John says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are going to receive the same glorified body that Jesus has. If we've been changed through the new birth, if we've received the life and the nature of Christ, we now are being changed more and more into his likeness every day. If we are pursuing him, if we're not pursuing him, then we're stuck. And the only way to get unstuck is to pursue Jesus, pursue him through prayer. Amen. Pursue him through the word of God. And there's coming a day that we shall be changed into his image. I'm talking about spirit, soul and body, all of us. And that day when all that is known becomes fully known. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And it is the Spirit himself that bears witness that with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children of God, then we're heirs of God and we're joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. It is in this life that we're called and ordained to suffer for Jesus, but not in the world to come. Galatians chapter four says this. Paul writes this to the Galatians. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you are no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Hallelujah. We serve Jesus, but we serve through sonship. We don't serve through bondage. There's a lot of religion that teaches bondage. Jesus, we serve Jesus through sonship. We do not serve him through bondage. And then to finish out this section, as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the son of man was risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? And he answered and told them, Elijah verily does come first and restores all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man. 
that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elijah is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they desired, as it is written of him. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. The stage is set now. John has come. Now Jesus has come, and the stage is set. Has the stage been set for you? Do you understand that the only person that can save you is the Lord Jesus? Not your church membership. Not the fact that you were raised in a Christian family. Not the fact that uh, that you live a good moral life. Oftentimes a more morally uh, higher moral life than many people in the church. That's not going to save you. You're not going to get to heaven based upon your own merits. You get to heaven based upon only one person's merit, and that's the merit of Jesus. So if you have not received Jesus as Savior, humble yourself today. Ask him to come into your heart and life. Receive him by faith. He'll show up. He'll show up. He'll save you. He'll make you a child of God. He'll adopt you into God's family. Father, I ask you now in Jesus' name, make this word real to us today. And I give you praise, honor, and glory. Amen and amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.